Gospels all begin somewhat differently. Uh, Matthew begins, first of all, with a uh, uh, genealogy and then immediately gets into the story of Jesus' birth from the standpoint of uh, Joseph. The, the angel appears to Joseph. Uh, and then uh, over in chapter th- th- three, it begins with the work of Jesus and the work of John the Baptist. Mark, on the other hand, has nothing about the birth at all. It just starts with the work of John the Baptist and the introduction of Jesus at that point. Luke begins with uh, uh, the story of uh, John the Baptist being born to, uh, uh, they, they, to his parents uh, and uh, John the Baptist's mother being a cousin to, or, or to uh, Mary. And then it goes to uh, the story of Jesus' birth from a Mary's viewpoint. The angel appears to Mary. And then over in chapter 3, there's a genealogy. And then in chapter 4, there's an introduction to Jesus meeting John the Baptist. But there's something similar about all of those meetings of John the Baptist, not only there, but also in John, which is totally unlike the synoptics. Uh, and they everyone start with the same prophecy. Uh, one crying in the wilderness, make straight the paths of the Lord, prepare a way for him. Uh, that prophecy comes from Isaiah chapter 40. Let's look at that for just a moment. Uh, verses 1 and 2 say, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Uh, Isaiah is distinctly divided into two parts. Uh, the liberals, uh, modernists, as you know, uh, say there are two different Isaiahs, one written at one time and one written three or 400 years later. But uh, uh, the Bible has Isaiah as one book. It has Jesus quoting from every aspect of Isaiah from front to back and, and always saying that Isaiah the prophet said it. So uh, uh, we believe that uh, Isaiah wrote the whole book that we call Isaiah. Uh, but it is the case that the first 39 chapters deal with a, an Assyrian evasion of Sennacherib and the culmination of that with the 185,000 Sennacherib soldiers being, being put to death by the Lord and the angel of the Lord. Uh, and then from chapter 40 on, it takes the standpoint of the Babylonian captivity having been over and talks about what will happen from there as a matter of prophecy. Uh, you can understand why those who don't believe in biblical prophecy and the ability of prophets to see well ahead of their times, why they would say there were two different, different Isaiahs. But uh, uh, we don't have any problem with recognizing that God knows the beginning from the end and uh, can talk about at any particular point that he wants to from their own in, in, in time because he's in eternity, he's above time, and he sees everything all at one time. So uh, uh, this is where he begins uh, prophesying about the end of the Babylonian captivity and the things after that. And much of what he says in this section pertains particularly to the coming of the Messiah, which is the next really major event that Isaiah wants the children of Israel to know is, uh, is soon to come. Uh, he says your sins have been punished by the uh, uh, captivity and exile in Babylon. Uh, 
Uh, I really don't know how much of this I said last time. I'm sort of confused at what I intend to say and what I did say. But uh, uh, I, I do want to uh, make, make note of the fact that uh, the uh, prophecies of John the Baptist uh, do indeed, uh, the prophecy of, of Elijah coming in the New Testament, do, do relate to uh, his connection with John the Baptist. Um, a voice, this is chapter 3, excuse me. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain shall be made low, the even ground shall become level, and the high places become a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Uh, he's talking about sort of what it looks like when you build a an interstate highway. Uh, I've been around long enough. To, I've been here when they weren't any and see them built and now enjoy them uh, after they're built. But I lived in North Mississippi uh, along uh, old Highway 51, two-lane highway from Memphis to New Orleans. And uh, uh, they were building Interstate 55, which paralleled 51. And they were built it in sections. You'd have a section here and you'd get off on old 51. You'd get back on the interstate for a while. You remember how, if you're old enough, you remember how that went. Uh, but uh, uh, what they were doing, literally, uh, not, not figuratively, but literally, they were knocking down the high places, the mountains, filling up the valleys with what they knocked off from the high places and, and straightening out the crookedness and making it basically a straight highway and not very much hill in it. And that's the imagery that the Holy Spirit uses in Isaiah to talk about John the Baptist uh, preparing a way for the Lord. But in reality, he's not talking about John coming in with bulldozers and, and making a straight highway. He's talking about John preparing a people for the Lord as the way that he would get the world ready for, for Christ and how uh, then he would, uh, that would be like preparing a smooth highway for him to, for him to travel on. Uh, so Matthew 3, verses 1 to 6, is where John the Baptist is confronted and asked who he is, and he responds with answering with this, this prophecy. I'm, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight paths for the Lord, prepare you the way of the Lord. There's an exact parallel to that in Mark 1 and in Luke 3. And uh, we'll see in John, too, that uh, John also, that uh, that's the way uh, John the Baptist identifies himself uh, as well. So it's very clear that this voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, prepare the way for the Lord, is John the Baptist. And he does that by preparing a people to get ready to receive uh, Jesus. We'll see more about that uh, in a few moments. Uh, there's a similarity, physical similarity, between Elijah and John the Baptist in their dress. Remember in 2 Kings 1, 8, uh, when Elijah came to uh, Ahijah, the, the king, he wanted to know who was it, and he said, I don't know, but he had on a leathern uh, a shirt of hair and a leathern girdle. And the king said, oh, that's Elijah the Tishbite. And that's exactly the way that John the Baptist uh, uh, apparel is described. It's a, it's a, a garment of hair and a uh, leathern girdle about him 
to hold it together. So that much similarity physically is also uh, uh, noted. When John the Baptist was being born, uh, Luke 1, verses 11 to 17, tells of the angel appearing to Zechariah, his father, and saying that you're going to have a son, although they were at old age and barren, you're going to have a son, and you'll call his name John, and he'll prepare the way of the Lord, and he will come, verse uh, uh, 17 says, he will come in the spirit and power of Elijah. So again, there's a similarity of John the Baptist and Elijah in the way in which he would come, according to the angel who announced his, uh, uh, his birth. Uh, now let's look at John 1 for a minute, because uh, they're confronted with the, with, the, with the fact that John the Baptist is here, and they're wondering who he's, who he's talking to, who he's, who he's from, and what kind of authority that he has. And... Uh, uh, that's better for now. Uh, and, and they're wondering who, who John the Baptist is as well. Look at John 1, beginning with verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Then skip down to uh, verse 19. And this is the testimony of John whom the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed, and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And then they asked him, What then are you, Elijah? And he said, I am not. And he said, Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, and here's the verse he always quotes, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah had said. So this voice to prepare the way of the Lord is specifically John the Baptist, and all four of the Gospels uh, testify uh, to that fact. Uh, There are a couple of other prophecies about John the Baptist that we need to look at, though, and two of them are in uh, Malachi, the very last Old Testament book. Look at the last few verses of the last book of the Old Testament. And uh, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers of their children, the hearts of the children of their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a decree of utter destruction. So I'm going to send you Elijah, he says, but it's before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And then also in... Uh, Chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So my messenger is going to come and prepare the way, as uh, 
Isaiah had also said that, uh, that John the Baptist uh, would do. Uh, now here's a bit of a puzzle. Uh, look at Luke 7, verses 18 to 30, where Jesus pays a very, very high tribute to, uh, to John the Baptist. Uh, I was thinking about what I was about to say until I was thinking about how I look. Here you go. Luke 7. Uh, 18 to 30. The disciples of John, Luke 7, 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling one of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? I think undoubtedly they're asking, Are you the Messiah, or is somebody else to come? Of course, John the Baptist had been very certain about that a good while ago, and had testified very strongly that Jesus was the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, that he was the one whose shoes he was not worthy to unloose. He was the one who, although he, John the Baptist, baptized in water, this one would come and baptize you in the Holy Spirit. All those things said about Jesus to indicate that he was indeed the one who was to come. But John the Baptist is human. And it's not uh, unusual for somebody to be thrown into prison, uh, away from knowing what all is going on outside, and uh, not knowing what his fate is going to be, and to get a little bit discouraged and to want some reassurance. And so he sends his disciples to find out whether Jesus is really the one who's coming or not. Uh, And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us, saying, Are you the one to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen, and that the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are raised, and the dead have the and the, the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So that's the answer Jesus gives him. He doesn't say, "Yes, I'm the one who is to come," but he cites all the things that the one who was to come, the Messiah, was to do when he got here, and says, "You go tell them that's what's happening." And I'm sure John was refreshed by that and realized what the message was that. Uh, that they were, were sending to him. And then continuing on, when John's messengers had given Jesus, had, had, had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. Here's some interesting words that Jesus spoke to the, the Israelites, the people who had come out to uh, hear the preaching of John, and the Pharisees who had refused to be baptized by John, uh, all in one crowd. Uh, what did you go out of the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Obviously, that's what they went out to see. They missed it. They didn't see what they were going to see. But uh, behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you come out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who shall prepare your way before you. 
You remember those words? They're from Malachi chapter 3. And uh, he is that messenger, uh, he says. And, uh, uh, and then he gives a high tribute to John the Baptist. I tell you, among those born of woman, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Know anything at all about logic? You realize that requires a conclusion. If there's not a, there's not a man born a woman who is greater than John, and yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John, what conclusion does that necessarily cause you to make? Really simple enough. You just don't want to speak out. Well, obviously, John the Baptist wasn't in the kingdom. If, pardon? That's right. And, 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 and what he's saying is that uh, now there's not a greater man than John. Everybody's born a woman. So no, none greater than John born a woman than he. But if the least in the greatest of the kingdom of heaven is, is, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, then obviously the kingdom of heaven doesn't come yet, and John's not in it. Uh, that, that's what we have to conclude. As we said, John has a physical birth, but not a new birth, because that hadn't begun to happen yet. So uh, uh, that's uh, uh, an answer at least to that uh, conundrum. Then when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors, they declared God just having been baptized with the baptism of John, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized to him. There's a few more things that are of interest. In what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her children. No way to be satisfied because they didn't like John the Baptist because he didn't eat and drink and they didn't like Jesus because he did eat and drink and uh, uh, just talking about the inconsistency of, of, of the people generally. And also making note of the fact that the Pharisees and scribes had not been baptized with him and Jesus said in not being baptized they rejected the counsel of God uh, because God had sent uh, uh, John the Baptist. Uh, see, I missed something here that I thought was there, meant to say. Um, Somewhere around here it says, you can take it that uh, John the Baptist is the Elijah who was to come. Uh, I know I didn't dream that. That's in Matthew's account. That's in Matthew's account. Thank you. 
Matthew 11. Gives the same information. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Beginning with verse 11, the same words that he spoke and recorded in Luke. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. In the days of John the Baptist, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who has to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That indicates a change at the time of John the Baptist from Old Testament prophecy to the days of the Messiah. He doesn't say it exactly that way, but that's obviously what he's, uh, what he's talking about. And, and John is the last, then, of the prophets in the line of the Old Testament prophets. And he obviously prophesied concerning Jesus. But Jesus said he's more than a prophet. And among the ways that he's more than a prophet is that the prophets also prophesied of him. He's a subject of prophecy because he is the John the Baptist. He is the Elijah who was to come. Um, did any of you catch the fact that uh, when uh, the Jews were asking John in uh, John chapter 1, are you Elijah? What did he say? He said no. And now Jesus said he is the Elijah who is to come. I don't know whether this is the uh, reason that was done that way or not, but I have a friend who's a preacher and who, as I do sometimes, took uh, calls by radio uh, to answer biblical questions. And a lady called him one time and said the New Testament teaches reincarnation uh, and not resurrection. Well, he was taken aback. He knew, of course, the New Testament taught resurrection. But he said, where does it teach reincarnation? And she said, well, John the Baptist is the reincarnation of Elijah. And uh, he thought real quickly, and I think, thinking well on his feet, and he said, no, that's not correct. If you go back to John 1, they ask him all kinds of questions about who he was. And one of the questions that he asked him was, are you, John the, are you, uh, are you Elijah? And he said, no. So he was not literally Elijah. But Jesus said, you're willing to accept it. He is the Elijah who is to come. He's the Elijah who was prophesied about. So not literally Elijah. He's not Elijah reincarnate, but he is instead the uh, uh, Elijah God Jesus promised, and, and the fulfillment of that of that prophecy. I don't know whether all that fits exactly right or not, but it sure came in handy for him when he was asked that that question. He is. The one Jesus, that, the, that the Old Testament prophets were talking about when he said, uh, Elijah will come. That was fulfilled in John the Baptist. Any comment about that or any question about that up to this point? All right. We talk a whole lot about prophecies and fulfilled prophecies and how they uh, help us to understand that the Bible is really inspired because non-inspired people couldn't tell the things ahead of time like the Old Testament prophets so very often did. And we know that a lot of the prophecies are about Jesus. But I think it's important to note that there are three different kinds of prophecy about Jesus uh, in the Old Testament and about other things as well. 
Number one, there are, of course, literal prophets, literal prophecies fulfilled literally. An example of that is Malachi 5 and verse 2, where uh, it was prophesied that the Messiah, who would be of old and from eternity, would be, would be born in Bethlehem. Uh, that was clearly understood by the Jews themselves long before Jesus ever came. Because when Herod asked, when the wise men asked Herod, where is he that's supposed to be born king of the Jews? Herod asked the scholars, and they said he'd be, he'd be, come from, be born in Bethlehem because of this prophecy. So it's a clear prophecy, it's a literal prophecy, and it was literally fulfilled by Jesus being born in, uh, in Bethlehem. But there are also prophecies that are stated in figurative language, and they're actually fulfilled, but not literally fulfilled. Uh, that's the kind we've just been talking about. John the Baptist was going to make a straight highway uh, for the Lord to travel on so that he wouldn't have uh, difficulty finding his way. Uh, John the Baptist didn't build a highway, but he did fulfill that prophecy by bringing people into the kingdom and getting people ready for Jesus. Uh, You probably recognize this, but there was Matthew, I mean, there was Peter, Andrew, James, and John, four men who were fishermen. Among others, they were listening to John the Baptist preach, and John the Baptist had pointed to Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And they followed Jesus at that point for a time and realized that John the Baptist was considering him to be the Messiah. Then you get over to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you find that Jesus finds these same four people fishing and mending their nets. That's, uh, that, that's their, prop, that's their uh, job. That's, that's their career. That's how they made their money, how they lived. And Jesus spoke to them and said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And without a word, they laid their nets and boats aside and followed him. That, would, that is remarkable, even as it is. But it would be even more remarkable if they had not seen and heard of Jesus before. But John the Baptist had pointed them to Jesus and had taught them that Jesus was the Messiah who was to come. And they had come to accept that even though they were still serving as as fishermen. So uh, uh, that was just one example. There are many, many others uh, of whom Jesus prepared the way not only to be his people, but even to be his apostles. Uh, John the Baptist had taught them before they saw Jesus, that Jesus was the Messiah. And they believed that, and then when Jesus came, they followed him as the, as the Messiah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it, it's it's kind of interesting that some people forget about what happened with John the Baptist and, Matthew, and Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and, and think that uh, uh, Jesus just saw them there, the first time they ever saw him, and he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Uh, that would be quite remarkable, not impossible, if, if Jesus had the kind of personality and charisma that he probably had. But it does make sense to know that they already knew who Jesus was, had already had him pointed out to him, and knew that he was the Messiah, and therefore when they saw him in that way, that he willingly followed them. Uh, there's a song that we sing that seems to overlook that prior uh, time when John the Baptist had seen uh, these, these four disciples. Uh, let's see if I can remember uh, exactly how it goes. It's a, 
uh, the, the faith that uh, they had in the New Testament about Jesus, and uh, they Jesus saw them and called them, and they immediately rose and went. Uh, that's not exactly the words, but you may be familiar with the song. Uh, and uh, they uh, uh, did that, but we know from John that they did that, having already been, having already learned from John the Baptist that Jesus was was the Messiah. So their literal prophecy is literally fulfilled. There are prophecies stated in figurative language, actually fulfilled, but not literally. And then there's another kind of prophecy that uh, is a little strange to us because it's not the way we're accustomed to uh, treating the Bible. Uh, but it was fairly common in uh, those days, uh, for even for uninspired people, and, uh, uh, and it is often done by Jesus and by the prophets. And that's typical prophecies fulfilled typically, or one might say spiritually. When I say typically, that should bring to mind the idea of a type and a shadow. Uh, the type is the picture, and the shadow is and, and, and the type and the shadow is the picture. And then the reality, the truth, is what act, what is actually talking about. So John the Baptist, or excuse me, the Messiah, uh, yeah, John the Baptist was a type of Elijah, not literally Elijah. Uh, and we. Speak of that often. I think you recognize what I'm saying when I say every lamb that was ever crucified, or ever, every lamb that was ever sacrificed on the altar for the people of, of Israel was a type of Jesus, the Lamb of God, who later would bear our sacrifices. It wasn't he, but it represented him. Uh, it's not a very clear prophecy. You wouldn't know just by looking at that with no other information that that meant that Jesus was going to come and sacrifice himself for us. But it is a kind of a picture of it. And there are many such types and shadows throughout uh, the Old Testament. One that I think fits here is uh, Matthew 2, verses 15 and 16, where, John the Baptist, where Joseph and, uh, uh, and Mary and, the three, and Jesus were told to go into Egypt uh, to escape the uh, wrath of Herod, who was going to kill all the babies in Jerusalem, uh, two years old and under. And, and, under. Uh, and uh, uh, stay there until it's safe to come back. And then an angel appeared to Joseph and Mary and said, you can go back now because the ones who sought the child's life are dead. That was the death of Herod that uh, occurred that caused that. And uh, he said that was done to fulfill the prophecy that was said, out of Egypt have I called my son. Uh, that's a prophecy that was spoken in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. But turn back to there and look at the context of that uh, prophecy. Uh, get into the uh, minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Hosea, Joel. Hosea 11, 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. 
The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and offering, uh, burning offerings to the idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness and with the bands of love, and I came to them as one who eases the yoke on their jars, jaws, and I bent down to them and led them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king because they have refused to return to me. Uh, that's the only place in the Old Testament where those words, out of Egypt have I called my son, appears. It's very obvious in context. He was not giving there a, a prophecy of the Messiah in any direct sense. Uh, he's merely using words that fit. And uh, so in that sense, Israel called, uh, uh, Israel called out of Egypt is a type of Jesus being called out of, uh, out of Egypt and back, back to his home. But the rest of the prophecy doesn't fit Jesus at all. He didn't go astray and all, all that sort of thing that this son uh, did. So that's a third kind of prophecy. And you find that again fairly frequently. Now, if I were about to teach somebody that the Bible was inspired, and I wanted to use fulfillment of prophecy as a way of proving that, of those three kinds of prophecies, which one would I use to point him to, to show him that there was a prophecy about Jesus fulfilled? That's right. I'd obviously go to the literal prophets, literally fulfilled. There are plenty of those, enough to show that uh, Jesus... Uh, that, 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 that scripture is inspired and that only God could have known how many things he said about Jesus ahead of time. But not everything that's said to be a prophecy fulfillment is a fulfillment of prophecy in the sense that we normally think of. So there were literally prophets literally fulfilled. Enough of those to prove the, uh, uh, the inspiration of scripture. There are also prophecies spoken in figurative language that were fulfilled in the way they were meant. And they can be helpful also. But then the types and shadows are, are not ones you would use for that purpose. But they still are interesting as they teach us about Jesus and the connection of the old and, and the new. Uh, there's a whole quarter of lessons, maybe even a half a year of lessons on uh, those types and figures of the Old Testament which were prophecies of Christ. And maybe someday we'll do it. Maybe someday I'll get the book written about that. But uh, at any rate, we, you need to know there is that kind of prophecy as well as the other kinds where that are literally spoken and literally fulfilled so that if you were showing somebody that scripture was inspired, you would know which kinds of prophecies to go to to, uh, to make that point. Uh, now, a couple other times that Elijah figures into things... Uh, you're familiar with the transfiguration of Jesus. Uh, what do we mean by the transfiguration? The Bible says Jesus was transfigured before them, that is, before the apostles and the others who were present there. He was shown in his glorified body. He was shown as though he had already been resurrected. And who was there with him when he was transfigured and, the, and had uh, Peter, James, and John there witnessing it as well? Who did they see besides Jesus on that occasion? Elijah and Moses. Uh, 
We often point out that's uh, suitable, that's uh, uh, normal, because Moses represented the law, and Elijah, as the first full-time oral prophet, represented the prophets. And so both the, old, both the law and the prophets are represented there, and, uh, uh, and they talk about, uh, well, the Bible tells us what they talked about. Anybody remember what it was? They talked about his crucifixion and the reason for it. And uh, uh, I suppose Mary, Matthew, uh, Peter, Andrew, and James overheard it because they recorded it. Uh, so that was their, their topic of conversation. And all three were glorified and shown to be transfigured. But then what was Peter's big idea that he came up with on that occasion? All right, build three tabernacles. Let's build three, that's equivalent to temples. Uh, three places to honor each one, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Uh, willing to ignore, willing to uh, honor Jesus on the same level as he honored uh, Moses and Elijah. Uh, and uh, what, did you, what did God suddenly speak from heaven and say? Yeah. All right. Yeah, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. Listen to him. Hear what he has to say. So that's one of the places where uh, God puts Jesus ahead of the law and the prophets of the Old Testament. Even though they are, in a sense, talking about him, uh, he then is greater than they because he is the one ultimately to be listened to. Uh, one other thing, Elijah and the two witnesses in Revelation 11.6. Uh, Book of Revelation says there were two witnesses who were to come. And uh, he doesn't name them, but he gives us some clues as to who they are. Uh, Revelation 11. Again, verse 1, I was given a measuring rod and a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations. And they shall trample the holy city for 42 months. And I'll grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days, uh, clothed in sackcloth. And there are two olive trees and two lampstands that tend before the Lord of the earth, and if anyone hired would fire them, would, would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he's doomed to be killed. And here's the point that we're looking for. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophecy. And they have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to smite the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. But what does that description sound like? Moses and Elijah. Elijah is the one who shut up the earth and had no rain for three years. And Moses was the one who turned water to blood and did other plagues as he may wish. So it is assumed, and I think probably correctly so, that the two witnesses here uh, in Revelation are Moses and Elijah. Well, those are the instances that outside of First and Second Kings, just giving the uh, details about what Elijah did, 
that we find him in, in the New Testament. Uh, next week we'll start with uh, his ascension into heaven and giving a double portion of his uh, spirit to Elisha and then go on to see how Elisha makes use of that. Uh, remember, if you will, that First Kings is Elijah and Second Kings is Elisha. Basically, at least, that's true. Thank you very much.